Welcome to the Perimenopause Power Podcast. We are Lisa and Natalie, two certified holistic health coaches passionate about helping women embrace their physiology to elevate their highest potential for confidence, health and energy. Perimenopause will be unique to you and each episode gives you the power in knowing that you can define your own journey. Let's get into today's episode. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Perimenopause Power. I'm Lisa Saunders and Nat, hello. Hello. Natalie Moore, hello. We are really excited about um, today's guest and I'm, or we are uh, going back to the grassroots levels uh, with some of our podcast sessions that we have coming up over the next little while and I have I have roped in a, a friend, Cory Stathis, who is a local lady um, that we met through some networking groups a number of years ago, and I've been delighted to um, form a friendship with Cory. And I'm going to ask Cory. Oh, well, good morning. Or oh, good, yeah, good morning, Cory. How are you? Good morning, ladies. Lovely. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you on, most definitely. We absolutely are. And I think, as you said, Lise, it's, it provides a great opportunity for us to speak with everyday women yes. because what we hear is women love being able to, to hear the stories, but not just hear the stories, connect to the stories and actually know that they are not alone in their experience. And it helps, as you say, to really normalise perimenopause and menopause and, and yes. the experience that we're having. So, yeah, we're excited to have you along, Corey. So, Corrie, we normally start the uh, podcast by reading out the bio of the person we're interviewing, but we're looking at today and we thought maybe you might like to give us your little bio and of who Corrie is and how you got to this point in your life. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm Corrie. Hi, ladies, and hi, everyone. Um, I was originally born and grew up in Scotland and moved out here in Oh gosh, 94, I think it was now. So quite a while ago, hence the no Scottish accent. Um, I'm finished uni and had actually met my now husband whilst I was at uni. He's um, a Melbourne boy and made it very clear he didn't want to stay in the UK. So I flew over here, lived, um, have lived here. We married in 1998 and I frantically climbed the corporate ladder um, in the travel industry just really because in my mind, I thought the minute I have kids, I'm not going to want to come back in at this top level. Um, so I need to get there before I go off and have kids so that if I do decide that I want to go back, I can slot straight in at that level. Because um, I thought it's going to be really hard to get back in at the top level with kids in tow. Anyway, um, very quickly realized, had my first child 2002 very quickly realized that I actually didn't want to go back into the workforce at all and started my own business in the conferencing and events space um, and ran a really successful business and it really tied me through that time when the kids were little I could be at home I could work from home I could sort of be my own boss around them it worked really really well and um but it grew and grew and grew to it basically grew into a beast to the extent that I actually couldn't the passion went because I was spending more time doing more admin and accounting stuff which I hate and um, I had staff working from home and I just wanted to peel it right back to just being me the kitchen table and my laptop again I didn't want to hassles of staff and all the rest of it so 
I actually just, the passion just completely went and I walked away from it. And um, uh, from then on, basically, I've taken jobs predominantly in the travel and tourism industry. And latterly, when I turned 50, just thought, you know what, I'm going to become cabin crew. So I'm now a flight attendant and love it. Although with my ruptured Achilles, haven't been working for the last couple of months, but hoping to get back in the air in April. Um, so I sort of figure that, you know, you're never too, late, never too old to do something that you've always passionately wanted to do, but always been maybe too scared to do, or financially you couldn't do it because it wasn't going to earn you enough money or whatever the reasons are. Um, I just decided to take the plunge and, and become a flight attendant. And I have to say, I wasn't the oldest in the ground school. So I'm wrapped that I've taken that plunge. Well, it's nice Don't to be the oldest. So obviously a lot of people are, you know, do, taking the plunge in their later years and enjoying it as well. And I suppose a lot of them, um, like yourself, you know, kids are older, more independent, doing their own thing. And I know for myself that, um, you know, I've got a real zest for getting right back into my work um, because my boys are a bit more independent now and we can do that so we can share the load. So, yeah, good Definitely on you. Definitely makes a difference. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. And I, I love that as as one uh, passionate <laughs> person. I love that, you know, we can reinvent ourselves and reinvent our career and, you know, age is no barrier. I'm seeing a lot around ageism and, of course, obviously the work that we do around menopause in the workplace and the impact that that's having on women. But, you know, I think just you sharing your story gives great hope that we can, we don't have to stay in in that that box that we, you know, stay when you finish university is what you've got to do and this is what you'll do for the rest of your life. Mm. We can reinvent ourselves. And, um, and I think your story highlights how important having a positive, fulfilling career is as well and what that does for your overall well-being. Yeah. I'm a firm believer of if you don't love what you're doing, get out and do something else, seriously, because life's too short. And, you know, all these people that just do the mundane corporate thing just because that's what they've always known or that's a safety safety net. And a lot of it is financial. I completely get that. Um, and, you know, I'm in, probably in the invisible position that I can I've got a very supporting husband as well. So I get that not everyone's in my little world um, where it's possible to do that. But, um, yeah, definitely, if you are a firm believer of get out. Yeah. Well, we've done that, haven't we, Nat? We're mm. a firm believer too. We, we were on that same trajectory, knowing exactly what you're doing. So, you know, that, that that's a great introduction. And I suppose one of the things that we often hear from women that we talk to, interview, all those kinds of things is how they're doing life, you know, do they, are they running around manic mad? Do they do it slowly? Do it, do a bit of combination of both and, and how this impacts you? How, how do you do life, Corrie? How, what, any um, I have to say COVID changed how I do life quite drastically. Yeah. We had to completely slow down. We had to stay home. We had to spend time with loved ones, whether we liked it or not. Um, and I think for me, it was a bit of an eye opener because I'm not joking. I was going a hundred kilometers an hour every day, all day and conk out at night. And um, I'm not a night owl. And my friends will attest to that. I'm very much in bed by nine, nine thirty. 30. No, wait, <laughs> we've got our hand <laughs> up too. <laughs> but I'll get up early, super early and seize the day, so to speak. And literally from woe to go was 100, 100 miles an hour. 
However, post-COVID, um, things really slowed down drastically. You know, you couldn't go to gym. You couldn't do the, you couldn't go to restaurants, cafes, catch up with people. Um, and I think for me, and I made it a real, whilst I didn't like that necessarily, full-on slowdown, I made it uh, a commitment to myself to basically just find that balance. Mm-hmm. And I think um, turning 50 in the middle of COVID, finding this new flight attendant role, um, it is a casual role, so I can sort of pick and choose as to when I work, what hours I work, um, what days I work. Um, doesn't always go to plan, but I think for me that's just about finding the balance. And now I do make sure in my day I have some downtime, I have some me time, I have the family time, I definitely do the exercise, and it's just basically finding that balance. And Again, the ruptured Achilles over the last couple of months hasn't helped me in that. I've had to slow down again, but it's not a bad thing. And um, I think de- definitely COVID was a positive for me to just slow down. So now I'm not going 100 miles now, maybe only 75 or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I like uh, we have days, oh, I have days where I'm super busy. But I did, apart from the um, the enormity of the hate that surrounds the whole COVID thing for me, I do, I did reflect, I do reflect and think, you know, that slowdown and time with family was absolutely precious. Um, that's probably the only positive that comes out of it. But I think slowing down is is really, really important. So, yeah. Mm. And I think just acknowledging that too, mm. you know, I think even you could see that you're going 100 miles an hour, but you acknowledge that actually I I can be powerful and, and still be myself slowing down a little bit and, and the importance of that. And particularly for women coming into that perimenopause, menopause phase as well, you know, we're, we're very much big advocates on recognizing your body recognizing your patterns and what you do and and then saying well this is what I need and and trying to find ways to um bring bring that about in your life so I guess that leads us to why we're here and and talking about perimenopause and and we'd love if you're open to it to share a little bit about your own perimenopause story and and how how that's evolved for you and 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 what you've learned along the way Well, the funny thing is not that, um, you know, the whole COVID thing and slowing down and all of that, I wasn't even thinking my body, perimenopause, how things are changing. I was just trundling along as usual. Um, And it wasn't really until probably the last year or so that I started noticing, oh, my period stopped. I haven't had a period this month, but then another one would appear. So, okay. And you start to Google a wee bit because you sort of start to go, well, am I in menopause? And then very quickly you realize that no menopause is 12 months with no period and and so on and so forth. And then in about... um, so I was trundling along quite nicely going, oh, this is a breeze, no hot flushes, no nothing. Going, what a woman complaining about. It tricks you. It tricks you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Until October. Yes. <laughs> and all hell broke loose. I remember the date. It was the 18th of October because I had a screw. It's my parents' wedding anniversary, actually. And um, I, uh, what I thought was just a period, but it, it went on and on and on and it wasn't just spotting it was full-on um a heavy period and it went for three weeks before I sought medical intervention and the doctor just went oh you can't keep going like this you know you'll you'll pass out um you'll have no iron and um you know before then I'd had perfect bloods perfect 
levels of everything. Everything was going swimmingly. And so um, got put onto a, a, a drug, I think it was called transemic acid, mm -hmm. which many people might have heard of for this very reason. And it effectively stops your bleeding within 24, 48 hours. Now, the doctor sort of didn't put the fear of God into me, but basically said, you're going to have to just take this for four days, just four days, and then hopefully that'll stop it. It was the long weekend over, um, was it Melbourne Cup, I think? Weekend, yeah. And um, and she said, if your bleeding continues over this weekend, you're going to have to go to hospital because this isn't normal. Anyway, it actually did stop. So I thought, great, fantastic. But then two weeks later, it started up again. So I go, do I take this transemic acid again? What do I do? And um, she referred me to a gynecologist and I went to the gynecologist, uh, well, back up, trying to get an appointment with a gynecologist with something else. Uh, this is in November. People were saying, oh, we can't see you till February, March, April, thinking I can't keep going like this until then. Finally found one through a referral of a friend um, who was having the same issues um, and she got me in pretty much straight, well, in November, the end of November. So I went to see her, but the day I went to see her, I'd ruptured my Achilles. So I hobbled in, not knowing what I'd done at the time. I didn't know I'd ruptured my Achilles, but with makeshift crutches and a makeshift bandage with an ice pack. And she just takes one look at me and she goes, okay, we need to do a DNC and basically clean you all out. And the sooner we can do that, the better. We'll book you in in the next couple of weeks. She goes, what have you done with your leg? I said, I don't know, but this is priority. Let's just get this sorted first um and she goes in the meantime just take continue taking these drugs to stop the bleeding meanwhile I went to get an ultrasound on my leg and discovered that I had a ruptured Achilles so that then took priority so my DNC and uh, the sandblasting of my uterus as I call it got second fiddle um and on top of all of that, my dad was dying in the UK. So I knew I had to get back to the UK for Christmas. So it was all go. Mm -hmm. And um, well, the gynecologist was great. And she, she knew the story of dad. She knew that I had to go. And she just said, look, you're going to have to just manage over the course of we'll see you. Actually, something happened just before I was due to go to the UK the weekend before the period came back again. But because I was on blood thinners for my ruptured Achilles surgery, I, it was counterproductive with any other drugs I was taking to try and clog myself up. And effectively, it was awful. I felt like I was bleeding to death. So I ended up at the Royal Women's Hospital the weekend before I was due to fly out. Mm -hmm. And they had to contact my surgeon for my Achilles and said, can we take, take her off these blood thinners? Um, yeah, no worries. And then start me on, they had me on three or four different types of drugs to effectively just stop the bleeding immediately. And it pretty much did stop immediately. Um, but as they said, it was just a band aid. you're going to have to go to your gynecologist and get this fixed. And I said, I'm meant to be flying to the UK on Wednesday. And oh, there's no way you'll be flying. And of course, I just lost it at that point. <laughs> I have to go to the UK. Yeah. But the gynecologist was great and said, look, I'll prescribe you more of these drugs if needs be just to get tied you through until February when, you know, you're back from the UK and we can actually do this DNC. So when I came back, all was good. Went to have the DNC at the beginning of February. And um, at the same time, they popped the Myrena in as well. Mm -hmm. And um, it's 
since then, nothing. It's been fantastic. I've had no side effects, touch wood. It's only been a couple of weeks, I know. But, um, yeah, nothing. I'm due to go back to the gynecologist, I think, the end of March for my follow-up. Um, but, yes. But interestingly enough, mum said, oh, you've done exactly what I have had. But you didn't Followed know that same- prior, right? Pardon? You didn't know that prior? No, no. didn't know yeah. that prior. Yeah. And I was telling Lisa when I was at work, trying to juggle working with this heavy bleeding up in the air was becoming impossible. That would stress and, you as well. It's another stress, isn't it? Oh, it was, uh, you know, I actually don't know how some people can do it. And when I mentioned to a couple of female um, fellow flight attendants, they are, oh, yes, we've got the same problem. And they go through pads galore and one woman thought she was bleeding in in the toilet of the aircraft one day. She said, I just don't know what to do to stop it. And it's one of those things that you can't bring to the attention of you're fit and able to do your job, but are you? You know, one of the questions we get asked in the in the briefing session in the morning is, are you fit to fly? Um, well, in theory, yes, but <laughs> I'm going to have to go to the toilet every half hour. Yeah. Um, but what if the seatbelt sign's on? And I was telling um, Lisa, I think, the story whereby we were delayed one day. We hadn't even taken off. And in in my head, I had this plan whereby, okay, we're in the briefing now. By the time we're up in the end, seatbelt sign goes off. I'll be able to just jump into the toilet and, you know, change the pad, get, you know, manage. But then we got delayed on the ground. And the problem was the toilets. The toilets weren't flushing. So, and I thought this time was running out. I'm thinking, I'm going to have to go to the toilet now. I'm going to have to go into the terminal. So I had to go and ask the captain's permission. And I said to the, I explained to the cabin manager what the go was. And she was cool. So she follows me into the cockpit and I'm asking the captain, you know, can I go to the toilet in the terminal? And he goes, how desperate are you on a scale from one to 10? And is it number ones or number twos? And I'm like, going, oh my do goodness. I have to seriously <laughs> tell not that? To ask, right? There's a, lot, there's a lot of learning there. It's just, yeah. Uh, and the cabin manager is frantically staring him down from behind me nodding her head you know please let her go and he goes well the concern is I'm like you go I'm gonna have to let everyone go and go no you don't the passengers aren't allowed to go for a start and the other cabin crew down the back of the aircraft don't even know what I'm doing here so you know I'll be five minutes tops Uh, he let me go and that all was all was good but um you know it was almost going to get to the stage where I was going to have to spell it out <laughs> in the two syllables or less. I can't even describe the emotions that's festering inside me. Now you've told me that story twice now, and it's just like you know, I I wasn't the one there, and I have been through what you've been through. So it's just yeah, there's a lot of education around it as well. Still, you know, just just without asking what the issue is, there's a way of actually um, you know, clarifying things from a working perspective. It's just so many things that you just wouldn't really recognize or, you know, really. No, and you're not sick. That's the thing. You're not That's right. Yeah. Um, and realistically in that time, I would have had to take days off work. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just, it was manageable. And in my head, I knew it was manageable, but it was manageable on a time frame, and you know, obviously, flying and delays, and you can't be tied down to a specific time frame. You just have to sort of sit and hope and cross your fingers that everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Yeah, um, and I think what your story highlights is just the, um, you know, the real gap in education and knowledge, and we know that not just women but men as well. Mm-hmm. Not even, it's not even on anyone's radar. And then also the complexities that women have across various 
professions and, you know, the things that they're tackling just to try and uh, manage the symptoms of menopause. You're really highlighting the complexities. And again, I just sort of sit here and think, wow, it's just, you know, you don't know really what someone's going through. Yeah until you actually have that conversation. And again, it and that's part of the podcast here that it allows us to have those conversations and really shine a light on that there's women across various industries, of across various sort of life things happening around them, not just in perimenopause or not just experiencing perimenopause. And we need to be able to support or at least have that knowledge ask the right questions or don't say anything at all and just have empathy and just say, yeah. yes, please, you know, go ahead and do what you have to do. Um, yeah, there's, you know, the the learning is is huge, but, um, you know, obviously sharing your story is a, a great start and we mm. appreciate that. Well, I was, I was sharing it with my husband as well after it happened and he said, is there no one you can talk to? Jet, uh, Jet Star said, well, actually my um direct manager is brilliant and had I gone to her and explained the situation I'm sure it would have been fine and but like you say you don't want to go and explain the situation thinking I'm I can manage this I'm fine and um when I mentioned to my mom what had happened she goes oh my gosh there's no way on God's planet I could have actually worked for anybody else her and my dad had their own business so it was quite handy but she said I was in that toilet every five ten minutes you know you know, changing everything. And um, she goes, working for someone else would have been completely out of the equation. But like I was saying to you, Lisa, I had no idea this is what mum was going through. No idea at all. Wasn't talked about, wasn't discussed. And it was only when I explained my situation, she goes, oh, yes, you're following the same trajectory as me. Well, that would have been handy to know. So as a result, my three girls know exactly what's going and that's, on. That's so powerful. And I think that's that generation will be that generation that really incites a lot of change. Um, you know, I've got um my bestie, her daughter, you know, she's really keen to know more about it. We were talking all about it around, you know, our summertime holidays when we were spending some time together. So it's really, it's that education and that talking amongst mother, daughter, you know, families can be a real game changer here. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you educated around perimenopause or was it just no, that? No, no. Yeah. I mean, you sort of start to talk about it maybe in your 40s, late 40s. And, uh, you know, I hadn't seen mum struggle. I, knew she, I did know she hadn't gone on to HRT or anything like that. So in my eyes, I'm thinking mum just must have breezed through this, you know, yeah. and hoping that that's the same um, journey I took. And went into it thinking, oh, you know, what do I have to worry about? This will be fine. Um, and But slowly but surely, you know, things started to happen. And it was only through talking to people at the gym, to people at work, Googling. Um, you know, you Google quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And you don't even think, hang on, is this actually happening to me? Is this what perimenopause? Because it does cover such a wide range of symptoms, yes. if you want, yes. that you sort of think, well, it could be happening to anyone, really. Um, but nobody talks about it. Like you say, it's not really a discussion point unless you're close to that person or close enough mm-hmm. to that person or, you know, mm-hmm. somebody goes, oh, I'm having a hot flush. And they're, they're quite open about that because it's pretty obvious what's happening. But, um, yeah, no one really discusses, I think, that perimenopause. Everyone goes, oh, I'm in menopause and, mm. yeah, you know, on yeah. the patches or whatever. But 
Yeah, and I think sometimes when, you know, when people say I'm in menopause, they're actually 90, 95% of the time they're actually in perimenopause. Mm. And I think a lot of women don't still don't understand that it's 12 months after your last period and, you know, it's a one day and then you become post, and then you're effectively postmenopausal. Um, so that education's so, so important. And I, and I love that, you know, one of my questions I had was, you know, you've got three daughters, how are you sharing the perimenopause story with them and what's different from for them than it was for you? But you, you pretty much answered that because you're actually talking to them and being open about the experiences and no doubt open about, you know, some of the symptoms that, you know, they don't need to be looking for it now. I, you know, I know, I know the age of your daughters, but, you know, in years to come, at least they don't have to second guess, oh, or maybe it's because I'm tired or maybe because I've had a busy week or, you know, mm. um, and one of the things that we obviously advocate for is just keeping a journal just with some simple annotations around, you know, what your body was doing every day and then going back and thinking, oh, you know, there's actually a bit of a pattern happening there. So mm. that could be really, really, um, mm. really. No, uh, we've been open and honest about the whole period and everything since day one because it, I wasn't really, I mean, I went to boarding school um throughout that whole uh, start your period journey and all the rest of it so you know mum and dad weren't sort of there at the kitchen table every night to have any discussions with but we didn't really talk about it in our peers either it was just yeah. one of those I don't know whether it's our generation or what it was but you just got on with it yeah, um, yeah. and it was a given but no the girls and I and John have been all very honest and open with you know, poor John just shakes his head going, oh, my gosh, I've got a house full of females. Well, he has. But you know what? That's, you know, and that's what my dad used to say too. He's got a house full of females. So he we had a house full of females. But it's really important because I think it's as important for them to know what's going on as it is for us. And, you know, we present to corporates around, um, you know, what we can provide from a, um, a menstruation and, and menopause um, avenue and, you know, all the, the men put up their hand and say, thank you so much. I've just learned so much in just that little talk that you've given us about what you can do and what, what menopause is that I just didn't know before. And, you know, we've talked about that on the podcast podcast previously. So um, I think it's really important that especially from your own husband or, you know, family members around you that they know what's going on. Mm. And, um, you know, John's been great, but John also, he's uh, a swim coach. And for him, it's super important because he's organized um, in the past, he's organized a GP who is very, she's a sporty GP and gets the whole competitiveness when you um, have your period, the effects on your body, et cetera, et cetera. And when I, when I first walked into the gynecologist way back in November, when I'd just done my Achilles, she goes, oh, my goodness, what have you done? I explained, I think I pulled a, a calf muscle or something. I don't, didn't really know what I'd done at that stage. But she said, you know, you've got to really watch your body at this time. She goes, it's yeah. like, go back to when you were pregnant. We all said, don't exercise 100 miles an hour. Don't do this because your hormones are changing. She goes, exactly the same thing's happening mm -hmm. now. Your hormones are changing. Your ligaments aren't as, you know, strong as they were. You've got to be really careful. I didn't know that. I just kept going at gym like I was 30, not 50. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, um, yeah, it's... um. We do a um, a program around you know the you know what what your cycle looks like for you through that twenty eight days, and mm. you know there's some days where you can smash out the exercise, and there's some days where you just got to take it really really slowly and you know um, just slow it down. And yeah, and even some major sport uh, sports companies now and training companies they're 
really embracing that whole philosophy around understanding your cycle and actually uh, working out the training program for women around what that looks like for them. That's right. So it's quite powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, Corrie, it, it sounds like you've had loads of learnings just in the last few months alone in obviously your experience, but is there anything or any learning that you'd love to share with our listeners in preparation for perimenopause, whether they're in it or, or they're not in it? Um, I think for me, knowledge was definitely power. The more I knew about what was what I was to expect and, you know, go and talk to someone at a professional level because, um, you know, going to seek, going to my GP was probably the first step. And yes, this is what we need to do. And then when it didn't work, she referred me to a gynecologist. But, you know, going to spend that time and speak to a gynecologist, they might just say, look, um, this is what we recommend just go away and come back in a a year's time or six months time. But for me, it was like, oh, thank God, somebody's going to fix this and, and explain what's going on, why it's going on and what they're going to do to fix it in order to um, not prevent it happening. But I couldn't have kept going the way I was going um, for my own sanity. Numbers of people have said, oh, I don't know about the Mirena. I wouldn't have had that put in. Well, I'm sorry. It fixed the situation at the time. And for me, I'll take whatever it is that the professionals recommend me do. And I think knowledge was definitely power for me. So, and I, and everyone is different as well. So don't assume that what your friend's going through will happen to you or what your, even what your mum went through will happen to you because it doesn't necessarily correlate. It mm. does, but it doesn't necessarily. Um, and, um, yeah, just go with it, really. Mm. That's you know, you can't change what you can't change. <laughs> At the end of the day, you just have to deal with what you've got as best you can. Yeah, definitely. And I'm lucky because when I put, when I was in the hospital having the DNC and put up on Facebook that I, I came clean, this is what I'm doing, the numbers of people that messaged me privately to say, oh, my gosh, I had this, I had that. I'm thinking, my story is nothing to what people are going through out there, mm-hmm. nothing. And a lot younger than what I am too, which is, you know, really sad. Yeah. And we say a lot too that, yes, every single woman will go through perimenopause slash menopause, but every woman's experience will be unique to her. And yes, we can learn about the phase and what we're going through and what may happen, but actually what we're experiencing and also the feelings associated with the experience as well. That plays a huge part. We could have women who have very similar experiences, but the feelings and the perceptions around what they're going is also very different too, which plays in the way that they respond and, and deal with what they're going through. So really sound advice. Just I love like, it. Definitely. Just like a fingerprint. Yes. Everyone's experience mm-hmm. is just so different like a fingerprint. So Yeah, that's it. So our podcast is all about power and finding and nurturing and and using our personal power as we transition through this phase of life and and other phases of life beyond perimenopause. And we'd love to know from you, what does coming into your own power mean and look like to you? I think um, definitely I want to be confident throughout this phase, I think. I want to still be able to... um, 
do what I've always done and loved to do. I turned 50 thinking, you know what, 50s is going to be the year, the, the, the decade, sorry. The kids are going to be older and not off your hands necessarily, but not such a tie. Travel was going to happen. You know, there was going to, I felt like 50s was going to be the decade. What I didn't sort of account for was perimenopause slash menopause, mm. but I still want to basically go, you know what, stuff that. I'm still going to do everything the 50s is still going to be the decade seriously so I'm not going to let it worry me or um, let it change the trajectory that I plan on going through this decade in Um, it's just going to be part of part of this journey I guess and and I totally agree with you because as you know I'm I'm in I'm 52 so I think for me, and I reckon this will be the same for you, it's having the knowledge though. So having the knowledge of what can happen and how do I deal with it? So you did that and, and you've, you know, you've rectified it and gone about trying, you know, fixing it. And I think that's just the, you know, you have the understanding that some of these things could happen. Oh, it's happening. Yeah. I'm not loving it. This is what I'm going to do. And then I'm just going to get on with life. And I think for us, that's the really, the key factor here is that, you know, we still speak to women that have no idea what's going on and and then you work with them and tell them some of the things that could be happening. They go, oh, gosh, I, oh, that's happened to me. Oh, but I didn't think that was perimenopause. So, yeah, knowledge really is power. Definitely, definitely. Google helped a lot initially, but it really wasn't until I sought the um, help from a gynecologist that mm. and, and she made it sound so normal as well. Yeah. She didn't make it sound like I was dying of some incurable disease or anything like that you know it's just part of the course for her she sees females all the time walk through her doors with all range of symptoms and for her it was just oh yeah it's fixable we'll do this we'll do that right yeah let's get on with it when can we do it yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. oh we've loved having you on Corrie and we really appreciate your openness and your vulnerability to share your story and I'm sure that there'll be loads of listeners who will either resonate or take a lot from your story as well so we really appreciate you giving us your time oh you're welcome thanks girls thanks Corrie Thanks again for sharing your time with us, learning how you can be your best energetic self no matter what life stage you are going through. Be sure to contact us if any of this content resonates with you. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. See you next time.